Mr. Speaker. Yes, that's right. It's Friday morning. It's half past eight. Well, it's 31 minutes past eight, but John's always late. Uh, hey. <laughs> Very untrue. No, Very untrue. that's why I love it when Jill comes in, because he's, in to- he's on time. So thanks for that, Jill. <laughs> uh, Morena to you both. Morena. Jill, Jill and John, uh, the, um, the Moors Squared, I guess. That's what I'll call you this morning. But more and more politics. More and more politics. We should have our own little segment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but good morning to you both. How are we this morning? Yeah, good, good, thank you. Yeah, it's a low, well, you know, isn't it nice when, when we get beautiful weather during the weekdays and then the weekend comes around and, uh, mm. well, well, oh, well. Um, it's been a big week. I, um, for, for many reasons, uh, around the world, there's Brexit going on, there's been the APEC summit, there's been many things. Um, but one thing, I guess, um, wasn't on my radar and I don't know why but it's Transgender Week of Awareness began on Monday uh, it's a week uh, with an aim to educate and celebrate transgender and non uh, gender non-conforming people uh, and to talk about the issues associated with uh, transition or identity uh, the week leads up to uh, Transgender Day of Remembrance held on the 20th a day that honours the memory of those whose lives were lost in acts of anti-transgender violence um, yeah, so tell us a little bit more about the week, John. Well, that's a pretty good summary of what the week's about. Uh, it's an international event, um, and as you said, it, yes, it leads up to this Transgender Day of Remembrance, and, and not only have um, many transgender people in the past uh, given their lives uh, um, due to uh, violence against transgender people and, and violence against the LGBT plus community in general, uh, but in many parts of the world, um, and, and even in New Zealand, uh, Transgender people continue to face uh, horrific oppression and violence, and we see that in America with the president himself whipping up um, transphobia. Um, so, yes, uh, especially um, what what is sometimes called non-passable transgender people uh, 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 definitely face uh, high risks um, when when they're not seen to conform to gender norms in society. Uh, so, I think this this is a week of celebration, but it's also a week to uh, reflect and uh, and for the transgender community to come out and to uh, state their position in regards to um, the politics around transgender, uh, the the continuing fight against oppression, and um, and and just making a stand and saying um, we are part of the society mm-hmm. and we demand to be included. Indeed, indeed. Um, Jill, you've um, been on the front line of the feminist movement for a long time. Um, what was it, um, you know, what was the fight for fa- transgender rights like, um, like in the seventies and the in the eighties? Was it was it much of a thing? Was it, an, you know, was there uh, um, an organisation and in, in, in a fight for transgender rights um, back then? Well, I, I mean, I, I I can't really remember that. Um, but I do have an awareness of people um, around me, or where I was at that time, who identified as transgender, 
And when I went up to Wellington in 1965 to start my nursing training, I remember um, seeing transgender people and being quite blown away and because I didn't really understand what they were doing and what they stood for and I suppose over a period of time I have become more knowledgeable, I understand um, to a point you know what these people where they're coming from mm-hmm. um, so I, I can't really say that I uh, know of any group or any politics around that at the time when I was uh, first in the women's movement, feminist movement. Uh, and But you bring up a good point, you know, you got educated. I did. Yeah. And have been educated. Yeah, and yes. that, that's the key point, because there's a lot of prejudice out there, because people, you know, there's always prejudice about things that people don't understand or don't get, and all... Uh, some people can see um, when it comes to uh, transgender uh, and and more and more now with uh, gender non-conforming people is it's different it's not right make it stop Uh, yeah and I suppose for me you know having trained as a maternity nurse and working through maternity hospitals and then working with children and, and mothers sort of always being in that field I have actually seen you know young children and been told of young children that identified at a very young age um, so in these two specific cases as f- males identifying as females so that's boys wanting to be girls from a very very young age and sort of being supported by their parents not necessarily being supported by um, people in the medical field uh, but once again because a misunderstanding or not having that knowledge, that education. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, we are in a different space now and we do need to celebrate that. Mm. And we do need to put it out there um, so that people do understand where people who identify as transgender are coming from. Where does it sit in the political spectrum in New Zealand? Um, is is the government, um, do, the, do they have a big support mechanism for transgender? Are, they, are we inclusive in terms of uh, government politics? Um, I mean, you'd have to say the Labour Party and the Greens, uh, on the face of it, are the most inclusive and embracing of, of diverse politics around gender sexuality issues. Um, and... Uh, what one of the uh, issues for transgender people is just the lack of medical help. So people who are wanting to uh, f- physically change in relation to their gender identity, um, there's just not the uh, surgery surgery available in New Zealand. Uh, there has been up to recently a limit on uh, how many people will be funded. That's changed now, just very recently, and I believe the Greens were the main force behind that change, that there's no formal limit to um, the amount of people who can seek uh, medical help mm-hmm. in terms of a, a sex change. Um, however, uh, it doesn't seem that the, the funding has been upped in relation to this change in, in legislation uh, and in policy. So uh, that's the big issue, that um, um, uh, with the amount of people who have seeked uh, um, sex change operations and currently there's 105 people waiting in, for surgery in New Zealand um, 79 patients are waiting for, for male to female affirmation and 26 for female to male surgery so there's just 
there's just not the funding there. Uh, there's actually not the medical experts in New Zealand. Um, uh, so if the government, I would argue, is to take this issue seriously, they need to uh, invest a lot more funds and, and to seek professionals from overseas to come here and, and to work in New Zealand mm-hmm. in this area. Yeah. Um, and, you know, do we have a problem, um, like we do all the time, but lobby groups, um, especially on... Uh, perceived, perceived as the right, but you know, mm. in, in terms of um, gender politics, it I, goes either way. But yeah. um, you know, groups like Family First and the yeah. like that yeah. you know have have sway. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, the, the 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 religious right, the Christian right in New Zealand is, is pretty small, uh, pretty marginalised, and and traditional groups that might have uh, campaigned against uh, liberal and radical attitudes towards sexualities and and, uh, and and gender as a whole have become more marginalised. Say so the Catholic Church, for example, you know, they have to deal with so many problems <laughs> in their own backyard that they, they they don't really have the the moral high ground to. Uh, uh, <laughs> promote their conservative views, and not, of course, not all Catholics are conservative, but the hierarchy yeah. uh, no longer has the moral high ground. And I say, you know, the amount of people going to um, churches in New Zealand has just plummeted over recent decades. So those institutions just don't have the weight anymore. One uh, sector of the population that does actively campaign against uh, transgender rights. Uh, a, a small section of uh, left-wing people, uh, surprisingly enough, and uh, feminists uh, who believe that transgender people are appropriating um, a woman's identity Women's identities and and and, and appropriating women's uh, spaces, such as um, women-only sports, for example, mm. the, the gender divide in sports, and um, so yeah, the, the, ironically, it's, it's elements of the left and feminism, and the small elements that, small. that are most are possibly the most hostile towards uh, gen- transgender activism, sort of almost promoting a conspiracy theory that it's it's privileged males. Uh, taking on a woman's identity uh, and then demanding uh, rights as a woman and, and the rights to use women's spaces, women's toilets and, and participate in women's sports. Um, and, yeah, I just find that view, um, one, I think it's politically wrong, but two, it sh- to me it shows the complete lack of empathy mm. that, uh, no... Uh, um, transgender woman uh, uh, (laughs) probably most of the time uh, go through a lot of uh, hurt and pain and suffering and issues uh, around um, their identity and uh, to say that someone would opportunistically be a male but take on a woman's identity just for opportunistic reasons to me is just uh, absurd and and again shows a complete lack of empathy for these people yeah well you know if the feminist movement and you like you said it's just a small 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 mm. section uh, and we're going to make that very clear um but you know when, when when women are fighting for equal and opportunities and equal rights but these people at the same time are trying to stifle the rights of other people it just seems like a backward step doesn't it you know yes. oh yeah I'll, f- I'll fight for my rights but i don't believe in yours well, you know, I mean, having been in the movement and having um, 
sort of you know fought for so many things you know for a, a refuge for women in Dunedin uh, being one of the things that I was at the forefront of um, I don't necessarily think that we have to go back there and say okay well you know we did all that we fought for these women we've got to make things absolutely you know stay where we are without taking into account um, other factors and, and we're now talking about transgender so if we're talking um, male to female as a lay person do I really think somebody's going to go through all that hurt and um, operations etc etc just so they can throw um, the discus further than a another female? I don't think so and maybe that's too simple. Um, I, I really don't know where Jermaine Greer and this group of, of people are coming from and you know I always say to people be very wary of what you do say and my little saying is don't judge a man till you've walked three moons in his moccasins or judge a woman <laughs> um, because how can you put yourself in that situation when you don't you haven't been there, you don't know. I think probably the best thing would be for these people would be to go and live in a house where there is a person or a child who is identifying as a, a male who's identifying as a female and just see what it is like um, for these people and for these families and to be there and to support them and not to be on the sideline uh, making comments which I just find deplorable really mm. I wonder if there's a changing attitude within the youth uh, I'd like to believe that there is mm. um, and, and it really seems that way um, I don't know I mean my children um, you know we educate them um, for the rights of everybody including sure. um, uh, non-binary uh, gender non-conforming and transgender people um, and you know they've got really good attitudes around it and but that's only because we've, we've educated them but i i think you know movements like rainbow youth are doing a lot of good works and it mm. seems like there is a changing tide within the youth um but i mean i can't be sure because i'm not i'm, I'm not on the ground to see it all but I, i'd hope it, it's, it's the way you, you it, mm. and maybe i'm seeing that in the, in the days of um social media and, and all this it seems like um uh, campaigners for the rights of transgender and gender non-conforming people um, they're more out there and we're seeing more of it and we're seeing more education going on so I think hopefully there is we are seeing a bit of a change of attitude I think surveys certainly show that that uh, younger people um, uh, millennials uh, are generally more liberal and open in um, countries like New Zealand, America, etc. And even in America, where you've got that strong Christian right, and, and, and the Republican Party certainly uh, has taken on a transphobic position, uh, overwhelmingly young people take an open um, and liberal view towards sexuality issues and, and um, gender fluid issues. I guess parts of the world where uh, you're seeing uh, a regression in terms of attitudes are people, uh, um, countries like Russia. Uh, where, where Putin and his forces use issues of, um, of sexuality, um, use homophobia and transphobia as a way to rally supporters and, and, and to present Putin as a protector of traditional Christian values against the, uh, against the encroaching West. Um, and then, um, unfortunately, in large parts of the Islamic world, um, um, 
and, and just to make this clear, um, um, l- large parts of Islam historically have been very open towards uh, ideas of um, gender fluidity and, and um, even homosexuality. You know, there's lots of uh, um, um, homosexual love poems that were that have come from the Arab world and the Persian world, but nonetheless, the, the forces of reaction in, in parts of the Middle East and in Indonesia, they're the loudest voices. Yeah. and they're pushing for <laughs> more and more legislation and actions by governments against transgender people and against LGBT plus people. Um, Iraq is a, is a very sad example. Um, under Saddam Hussein, and Saddam Hussein was obviously a horrific leader, but um, there was a lot of space for gay people and LGBT plus people to, to, to be prominent. There was um, um, gay clubs, nightclubs, um, with the collapse, well, with the overthrow of Saddam Hussein and and the coming of uh, more sort of religious parties to the fore and in government, um, yeah, LGBT plus people, transgender people face regular violence. Um, You you have uh, religious militias who go around killing people who they suspect look gay. You know, even people like, um, for example, the emo community and goth community in Iraq is targeted because they're seen as um, men dressing more effeminately. So, yeah, it's um, lots of progress has been made in countries like New Zealand, but in other parts of the world, um, it's heading backwards. Um, If I could just talk about... <coughs> Excuse me, youth. Um, I work in a, a theatre environment um, where we have children from as young as six through to you know twenty year olds, and I'm in that theatre you know a lot um, during those plays and during rehearsals, and I just see a mixture of young people who choose to dress the way they want to dress to identify how they want to identify they are accepted by all these other children it's like it's an educational environment it's an amazing space to be in mm. and and you know I can say that yes I think um, a lot of these young people um, are very accepting of each other and how they want to identify yeah, well, prejudice is learnt, right? It's not a natural Absolutely. state. Mm. No, you don't. You're not born anti-gay. No, no. You're anti-trans. <laughs> you, you, you know, it, it's it's a learnt thing. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and like you were saying, John, like especially in America, America's taking a step backwards. Yes. I mean, I mean, we saw it in North Carolina a couple of years ago where we had the toilet issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we're seeing, it especially from the likes of Mike Pence mm-hmm. uh, and, and and the religious right, um, and it's bolstering. Mm. Uh, those in the community that are anti uh, gender non conforming and anti transgender and anti homosexual people. Mm. It, it's, yeah, it gives the okay to yeah. bigots, whether that's in the schoolyard or down the street, it gives the okay to bigots to hassle transgender people. Um, um, there, there is a link between uh, politicians and leaders saying bigoted things about certain marginalised groups and then uh, members of those marginalised groups facing oppression, increased oppression and, and harassment and violence. Um, so I think, um, yeah, despite the debate uh, around transgender issues, the type of things that, say, Jermaine Greer says, uh, the second wave feminist, um, with her hostility towards transgender people, I'd say she has the right to say that. Uh, I'm, I'm against her being no-platformed at universities, and, and the same with people, the Christian right, 
sure they have a right to say what they say, but there's consequences to what they say. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think especially people who are generally progressive and, and against oppression should really think twice before uh, making inflammatory statements about transgender people, such yeah. as uh, just privileged males uh, uh, trying to step into a, a woman's zone, which is just a ridiculous statement, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's wider philosophical issues, of course, around what is gender, what is sex, what is biology, what's the relationship between biology and identity. And I take a very uh, dialectical line that I think um, there's not a, a, a fixed relationship between biology, what we're born with, of, yeah. and, and, and with our identity. identity Identity is fluid, yeah, um, and with exactly. modern technology, biology can be fluid as well. We can uh, alter our biology. We can take uh, um, estrogen or uh, suppress our testosterone. Testosterone. So thing, John. Yeah. So these are. Sometimes I wonder that these people who are incredibly hostile to transgender people, maybe they feel uh, deep down uncertain about their own identities and they want this assurance that there's a direct relationship between biology and identity. And, and when you have large amounts of people who are openly uh, showing that that's not always the case, uh, then it, it, it probably scares some people. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you know... Uh, <laughs> Uh, there's a funny comment from the philosopher Slavov Cicic, uh, who's one of my favourite philosophers, and he says, well, yeah, technically I'm, I'm cisgendered, but, you know, every time I uh, walk up to a toilet and there's a male sign and a female sign, um, um, I'm thrown into a crisis of identity because I don't know, ultimately, who I am. Uh, um, um, you know, we're, we're, all our identities are in a state of flux, and uh, all, um, arguably that tension between identity and biology causes a crisis in all of us. Nice, nice. Well, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll leave that there and we'll come on quickly on to teachers. Um, but if you want some more resources, it was a great uh, Human Rights Commission report put out in 2007. Uh, you can find that online. Uh, if you're around campus, go to, talk, uh, to OUSA Queer Support. Mm. Um, but just go out there and educate yourself and, you know, um, get a real opinion. Mm. Uh, um, right, just quickly, because um, we haven't got much time left, but I do want to talk on the teachers because they have been striking again this week. Mr. Eden's turn uh, yesterday for the rolling strikes have been breaking out across the nation. Uh, and I want to talk about this um, because we support the teachers. Um, mm. Yeah, I believe we all do. I hope we do. Jill, you support yes, teachers? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, number of friends that are teachers, so I have to say I support them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, I do. Yes, yes. Um, now... Offers have been tabled. Uh, mm. There's been three now. The third one hasn't been looked at before this, uh, and, and, and that's a bit of an issue, I think. But you know, things have been tabled. Nine percent pay increase. Um, but I think we're still we're still looking at the pay increase. Uh, we're not really looking at what the teachers are actually asking for. All mm. we're hearing is pay, pay, money, money, money. Mm. But what they're really what they're really having an issue with right now um, is the conditions, is the hours, is um, is the support, is the amount of time they have. Uh, after classes are finished, to do marking, to do mm. um, bits and pieces, to formulate what's happened, lesson plans for the next day, lesson plans for the entire year. Um, teachers have to go through continuous training as well. Mm. You know, they're always being trained more and more and more. It's just, it's not just a, a nine to three p.m. job. Uh, no. You know, it's it's a it's a nine to nine job. 
yeah, it, it's it's hard going. I'm, I'm, I've worked with a primary school teacher in New Zealand and in uh, Thailand in the country of Brunei, um, and it, yeah, it's, it's real hard going. It's um, uh, and what teachers yes, teachers are wanting more pay, but they're also wanting smaller class sizes. They're wanting more resu- uh, resources, and they're wanting more support. Um, of course, the government is uh, portraying it as though it's all about pay, uh, and and lots of people want more pay. So why should the government just give it to teachers? But I think the government's being disingenuous here, and I feel the government um, and the negotiators acted in real bad faith, putting this proposal, this latter proposal, to the teachers union. Just the, the, basically the day before, uh, or the, um, just before they they were going to uh, enact rolling strikes. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, uh, um, um, the, the teachers didn't have time to call off those strikes and those rallies. And, and those strikes and rallies aren't just about protests; they're also about bringing teachers together to discuss the issues um, that that um, that they're fighting for here. Um, yeah, so uh, no, teachers don't just do a, uh, a nine to three job and uh, um, uh, have it free in the weekends and oh, then have long a holidays. long holidays. Yeah, <laughs> yeah most teachers will uh, work six days a week. They'll do planning in the weekend yeah. as well. Um, sometimes they'll be called into school meetings in the weekend as well and during holidays. And yeah, for every hour um, y- you teach, you're having to do a whole lot of preparation. Yeah, yeah. It's not just walking in there and winging it. And yeah, and we've seen falling numbers at the College of Education. You know, and the, yes. why would you want to go into a job like this, especially when you're hearing all this? Why would you want to go into a job like teaching when you're not going to get the support? When you're not going to be able to have a life? You I mean, you know, a lot of teachers do it because they're passionate about young people, but they also, you know, you don't want to work to um, to live. You want to, you know. I mean, you don't want to live to work, you want to work to live. Mm, you know? That's right. And I did um, read in the ODT that I think it was something like 5,000 teachers waiting to come into the country. Yeah, five, 500, 500. Oh, 500, sorry. Yeah. I've talked about another further amount as well. Oh, they're anyway, probably a problem. Currently 500 um, waiting to come in. So you sort of think, well, uh, why aren't people training to be teachers? I do think that a bit of it has got to do with that we had a college of education and then the university, so that was a different type of training, and then the university brought in a degree-based mm. um, teacher's way of learning, and I do wonder if maybe that has had quite a bit to do with it. Yeah. But anyway, I, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I do hope. But I certainly would like to think that teachers are not having to be in a classroom with 30-plus children, um, that the numbers go down to yeah. 25 at least, and therefore the children are going to get a better education and the teachers are going to be in a better environment to teach yeah. um, the children. Well, those who are out there that are parents, um, whether you've got one, two, three kids, you know what it's like. Imagine having 30. <laughs> My I God! Know. My God! Like, how do you do that? Well, I know. They're you superheroes. Know, being backstage at the, th- <laughs> the theatre, yeah. sometimes controlling, up to 30 children oh. is... Very, very difficult. I wouldn't want to do it. And, get and actually pain. get across some education as yeah. well. Oh, yeah, to get them to absorb some, not like <laughs> to teach them something. I can't get my kids to make toast for mm-hmm. themselves. 
I mean, no, I, honestly, my proposal, which might be seen as a radical proposal, is that every classroom has a teacher and then a qualified teacher aide, uh, because it was very clear to me teaching in New Zealand that those kids who are at the bottom, who are really struggling, who have mm. gone through year after year not being able to read, which affects all their learning, oh, yeah. uh, they're just left behind. And, and the principal at my school, in terms of uh, assisted help for like reading recovery, said, "Don't pick the lowest kids. Pick the kids who are." Uh, just below average uh, for uh, reading recovery, but uh, we just don't have the resources and yeah. the money for helping all the kids. And I thought that was shocking. There was one year where I had a full-time teacher aide because there was a kid in my class who had had a was involved in a car accident as a um, in his youth, and he was involved. Uh, could access ACC funding for a teacher aid, and that just you know, that, that especially the the kids who are really struggling, uh, lower achievers, they were immensely helped by this teacher aid who who just didn't help this particular kid, but gave help uh, throughout the classroom, and it made it, I, it made a significant difference in a whole lot yep. of areas. Um, yeah. Sorry, we've run out of time. That's okay. Uh, but yeah, this is the thing. Um, you know, they're, they're they're fighting for better conditions for your kids for our kids mm. for the next generation and they're not just doing us for them for us they're doing I mean for, for themselves they're doing it for us and they're doing it for our kids um, and you, you're right those that need reading recovery and, and that type of stuff you know it, there are real struggles around mm. that so uh, but thank you both for coming in thank you Jill thank you and uh, thank you John yes, more and more politics yeah <laughs> more and more green politics so maybe, yeah. <laughs> because my last name's green. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>